Well, good morning. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron DeMaster. I'm a pastor here. Hey, if you saw a kissing booth on your way in, yes, that's part of church. Uh, it's to celebrate a little bit of Valentine's Day. So for you and your spouse, if you want to get a Hershey's kiss and a Polaroid picture, it could be kind of a fun thing to take with you. And hopefully it's your reminder to get your butt back to church as you have that at your house. But, but get a picture after the service. That'll be kind of a fun extra that you can check out. Uh, but anyways, this week what we're doing is we're getting closer or close to wrapping up our series that we've been calling Rooted in Faith. And what we've done for the first two months of this year is encourage you to let the traditional practices of a follower of Jesus sink down deep into your life. You might think that like some of these practices like on this list here is like very typical or really obvious for a Christian or a churchgoer, but Honestly, not really. A recent survey I read this week says 4% of people actually are living in regard to biblical practices that were instructed by Jesus, even while the number of professing Christians is closer to about 63%. So Christians, 63%. Rooted in faith practice doers, 4%. I don't know about you, but that's a big difference, right? Like if someone's like got a hundred bucks and they're like, I'll give you four, Versus 63, you wouldn't even be able to buy a meal at McDonald's, right? So I want that 4% number to grow as a pastor, and so does Jesus, based off of his call to all of us, which is to come and follow me. But what that means is to actually do and walk and learn and copy Jesus. So this year, we're set up being rooted in our faith with basic Christian practices. Not have them be something that you just believe or do on Sundays. Not something you just try for a while and then give up on when you forget or lose interest but, or get out of routine. But this series is meant to talk about the things that help get you rooted in this lifelong journey as a Christian. So that faith and its practices stick forever. And we're covering the how and the why to them. These practices, they weren't things that Jesus was thinking his followers would just try, but he expected them to train with and prioritize with their life as he did. Unfortunately, some of those are harder than others. They really are. And, and Jesus, though, knows that. He says this in scripture. He says, uh, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Ugh. Take up your cross and follow me. That's a lot, right? Now, so far of this series, we've talked about engaging with the Bible, praying, worshiping God, raising your family in faith, serving. Today, we're talking about being a part of a church community, and then next week is sharing your faith. And as you look at that list, I'm sure you might be like, been there, tried that one, right? Or I kind of did that one for a while, but then you maybe found a meaningless or kind of got nothing out of it and kind of just maybe even felt guilt and shame from not doing it maybe as much as you think you should. And it stinks. I know because I've been there personally. But the main reason a lot of us don't do these things consistently is it's hard. It's hard. I've struggled with all of these and I still go through stages with them at different times in my life where they aren't being done as often as I know I should be doing them. But that's why we're taking time to talk about getting rooted in faith because yes, these are practices Jesus wants from his followers and expected. And yes, they are hard. And unfortunately, they're not just something you accidentally start doing. I've never heard someone drop this like, oops, I just started praying, right? No one's ever said that. Or, whoa, 
Did four hours just go by of reading my Bible? What? That is crazy. Or I just love giving God my first, like my first of my money, the first of my time, the first of my preferences. You might as well, God, have the first sip of my coffee too. No one says that, right? Or I love waking up early and serving at my church on my day off. It's just so fun, right? We don't just accidentally get into these rooted practices. We have to be intentional about them. And how we, have, uh, and how we do is we implement these for the long term is by consciously choosing to look to God's direction on them, listen for his presence within us to guide us in them, and then train with them through our actions. A Christian enters into training to be like Jesus. It's not about trying. This concept, it's not new to you. Uh, I want you to think about running a marathon for a second. Who thinks that sounds miserable? Who's like, I, maybe, maybe, uh, no one, okay. <laughs> um, could you buy some new kicks or shoes, throw the race bib on, buy the fancy new Garmin watch, which by the way, those are all the cool parts of running a marathon. But can you just do those things and then run the marathon? No, right? It's the same with a lifelong faith. Like you can't just accept Christ buy a big old Bible, start attending a church, put Caleb on, on your radio, and automatically think that you'll be regular at praying and being generous and love reading scripture and give up every Sunday morning from then on out. Hear me out. When you do accept Christ into your life and declare that you want to follow him, you are fully loved and accepted by Jesus forever. But that also means you enter into a life of training with him. Like running a marathon, you can't just swing 26.2 miles after a few weeks of training. What you do is you enter a plan of practicing and pursuing and getting back up when you have a rough day or week or month or year. This is the image for faith practices. We sign up for a life change and pursuit of giving of ourselves to follow Jesus because we felt our need for it or maybe you've realized God's purpose for life or, or that you just can't do life on your own is probably why you felt that. But then we enter into this training of following Jesus' ways because we affirmed our way just doesn't work and his way is the way. So we're looking to him on how we did things so that we can get better at being people of prayer and worship and serving and all those things on that list. I mean, even the disciples, right? The people that were with Jesus, who physically followed him, when he was on earth, they spent day and night with him and doing his practices and ways, and they still all basically failed and abandoned him. But that is expected in training. So as a church, we are committed to encouraging you to train in these practices of Jesus because they are the action of following Jesus, and they help you stay rooted in faith. A giant perk, side note, a giant perk of, of doing these actions too is we believe they ultimately are the best way to live. Like all of these maybe seem restrictive or inhibiting to you at first, but they are actually meant to make your life greater. Like they are given by God to help us operate as we were created to. Do you want that? I know I do. So at the very least today, whether you're a Christian or not, you might want to train in some of these practices to experience the goodness God intends for life. Today, we're talking about being a part of a church community and I thought after being gone last weekend on vacation, I'd give myself a softball sermon and preach about the importance of church to people who are at church. I'm only like half joking here. <laughs> 
But have you ever wondered, like, what's the point of being a part of a church community? I mean, faith is personal, right? Isn't it about me and my walk with Jesus? Like, why do I need a church? Have you ever thought that? Or like, a church is basically like a one-hour service these days where you, they play some music, a guy with like a robe or some skinny jeans or a tie or something comes out, does a presentation of some sort, and it's usually saying something that you already know or you heard and is usually long-winded. And then after all of that, they sing and solicit you for donations. I avoid people or going to places, nevertheless intentionally go somewhere where I know that's going to happen. What is the importance to all that? Or maybe you've even studied God's word a little bit and you know church was never meant to define a building or a one-hour service, but a community, which is true. But if it's just that, like, why do you need to be a part of a Sunday church community? Honestly, church people are weird, right? And they're messy. I'd rather just hang out with my bowling league or my women's knitting club or my bonfire drinking buddies or my boating group. They honestly seem more real there. And we talk about faith every once in a while. Maybe you've even said, that's my church. There's a... Top it all off. You see the news, like there's always some church or pastor scandal with churches. Like why even put yourself in a situation where it's even a possibility to encounter people like that? If you thought any of these things, today is for you. And honestly, you got to know you're not alone. Like, but unlike you today who, who is still here and still showed up to church, lots of people have just stopped attending. Like the church as a whole has declined. Like all adults as a whole since 93 to 20 have declined. Not, not just like young people either. Like you can see millennials, Gen X, boomers, elders, they've all declined as the years have gone by. So what I hope to cover today is giving you some clear purpose for church. Like what it is, what church should be all about. Is it programming or being with people or serving or worship music or offerings or hearing a presentation? And I hope to give you a solid reason why, like why you need to be rooted in church continually. And then, and then finally, how to. Like if church is not your thing, I want to give you some ways to help get yourself invested in it and rooted in it and finding enjoyment and fulfillment with it. Because church was important to Jesus and it needs to be important to you. So we're going to kick this thing off talking about like, what just comes to mind when you think of church? When someone says the word church, what comes to mind for you? When I was kind of cynical about faith and church, these were some of the things that came to mind for me. Old crabby people is instantly like what comes to mind. Old crabby people is like comes to mind for church. Not that I don't like old people. I love old people. But like old crabby people is just what comes to mind. Awkward empty rooms. Like churches are usually empty and it feels weird and ah, like just don't love it. Cliche Bible preaching like, People, like, just, like, all these, like, they got a verse for everything. It's kind of what I Oh, love like this hat. Look at this. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Excuse me, this is fashion now? Lean not on your own understanding. Oh, Spencer's gifts? Mm-mm, guard your heart. Finish line? Oh, yes, run the race I have set before you. So, cliches. Building-oriented is what comes to mind when I think of church. Like, whether it's, like, this beautiful, old empty-ish building or like this trendy, huge lights flashing. 
um, boring, not relevant is what comes to mind. Uh, crazy kind of religious, like, like people like that just are very harsh. Uh, something only women go to is what came to mind when I think about church, which in my bachelor days was kind of a draw, right? Statistics say that 61% of a church makeup is women, 39% men. So for you single men who don't really like church, that's one for you maybe of why you want to get your butt to church more often. But do, you, but do you have any of these perspectives or do any of these images ring any bells for you? Maybe, right? Maybe. I think some of those are actually accurate pictures of today's church, but, but that's not what the church was intended to be. When we look at the word church in scripture, specifically in the Greek or what the New Testament was written in, the word was ecclesia, which wasn't synonymous with building back then like it is today, but it was defined like this. It was a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly, an assembly of people that convened, right? Now, when you apply this, this definition of a church, of like kind of a group or a community, when you apply this to some of the verses that Jesus spoke out on, like, like this one, he says, Now I say to you, now I say you that are, you are Peter, so he's calling to one of his disciples, and Peter's name means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. It wasn't brick and mortar that Jesus wanted Peter to build. It was a community. Peter and his disciples were meant to build a community, and they do. Communities or churches, they take off in the New Testament. And we'll, we're going to see some specific things that they did and prioritized that we must too in Scripture. But I think it's worth even backing up a little bit more because church or being in a community around God's values or assembling amongst families— is not a new concept to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, people were used to uniting together behind a covenant or a promise between God and his people. God would make these collective promises to people groups. Like, like in scripture, we see to Adam and Eve or to Noah or to Ab or Abraham or to Moses or the people of Israel. God would say things like, I will be your God. Unite around these covenants, these laws, my guidance and promises I have for you and I will take care of you is kind of the general gist of it all. And they did. If you were here last week, we had a guest speaker who talked about the rooted practice of leading your family in faith to know God's promises. And he used this verse. He said, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. It's God saying, You people or you family, you should be repeating these things. But not just that. You people groups, you multiple families, you church. You should train your kids on my commands, worship, and unite around me. Just like you need to rally around faith concepts and abide in them as a family, there was a need to do this as people groups as well. Churches where they worshiped and they reflected and there was teaching and there was ways of God all coming together. So churches aren't this New Testament thing only. Since day one, God has used communities to bring forth his ways. But this concept is one that explodes in the New Testament or in Jesus' time. But this time, it's a rallying around Jesus' new covenant. When Jesus is about to die, he says this. He says, this cup is the new covenant written in my blood, blood poured out for you. The new covenant is Jesus' blood 
being shed or spilled for our wrongs when he died in our place so that all can come and be in a relationship and forgiven by God and seen as family with him. All can have eternal life with him. This is the good news. This is the new covenant that Jesus brought. And then he commissions his disciples to keep on sharing and spreading this news to the community. We see this in Matthew 28. This is kind of the end of Matthew. It says, Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, you guys, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Then after he says this, Jesus leaves. He kind of wraps up his time on earth, as in Jesus does ministry for about three years with these guys, dies in our place, resurrects, gives us this new covenant, this good news, and then is like, all right, you guys take it from here. Peace out. I'm out, right? I'm out of here. Can you imagine that? Like, Jesus is like, so you've only been with me for a little while, but now I'm out. Now you, you go and make disciples, start communities or churches. Coming from someone who, who started a church, me, that's scary, that's a, that's a scary call and a lot of pressure. But to me, that shows God is all about you training and learning along the way, which, which I'm happy to hear because that describes kind of where I'm at as a pastor. I'm still figuring stuff out. But they listen, these disciples, and they, the transition from the passage of Matthew, Matthew 28, is Acts. Acts, where all of a sudden the church explodes. So our last chunk of scripture we're going to look at today is Acts 2 where the start of the first churches happen without Jesus kind of present with them. Kind of, kind of like exactly what we should do today. And how it starts is it says, the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit comes upon these disciples to go and do. Now, Jesus promised that this Holy Spirit would come and be with all Christians. And it comes for the first time and it moves the disciples to do. And then after that happens, it says, Peter preaches to the crowd. Peter starts preaching speaking. And I know you might be thinking like, I'm getting long-winded or kind of long today, but in Acts 2.40, it says the, then Peter continued preaching for a long time. A long time could have been hours back then. Not just minutes, not just a 30-minute sermon like we have here typically. So you're welcome. But I do want to point out sometimes I'm long because I'm trying to be biblical. All right, so just letting you know that. But it says, he, what he does is he explains Jesus. He says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, this promises to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And in response to this preaching, it says, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Church, or again, community. But then this is the part I really want you to focus on. This church did some specific things. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. And with this, the community or church just kept on growing. But from this passage, 
we get a framework of what really is a church and, and what the closest followers of Jesus felt a church should be doing and, and how. Again, church is a community, but they did some very specific things. Like if I was just to kind of underline a couple of things, like there's teaching, there's fellowship, there's prayer, there were signs and wonders within the church. They met together in one place. They, they shared. They worshiped together at the temple regularly. They met in homes, right? To kind of give that a, in a more digestible list, like a church or a community of believers should have the Holy Spirit present, teaching, fellowship, prayer. They should meet together as one body, meet in homes, evidence of good, care for those in need, adding of others. So a biblical church is something that does these things. That's an intense list, right? You might be thinking, I'm just giving you another to-do list, which I guess just don't think that. But these are a to-do list for a church. Do you think we're doing that? And I'm not only asking, like, do you think we are doing that as in center point, but are you participating in that? Because you, the assembly, or the assembled right now, are you doing these? As I look at this list, it's a lot, right? But it's very particular to a church organization, or at least a good biblical one. But to contribute and to be a part of a community that does this, Jesus knew was important, especially to be rooted in faith. To think your bowling league or your hunting buddies or your packer watching crew or your knitting club or online community or friend group that you get coffee with every once in a while and talk about faith, if you think that's church, you've kind of missed the biblical example, right? Sure, they maybe have some elements, but to get most of these right is hard. Like, as a pastor of a church, like, it's even hard for quote-unquote center point church to do all of these things well. I don't, I don't think we do all these things well yet. Nevertheless, something that doesn't claim to be a church to do even these things well. With that, I want to ask you, are you rooted in a community that's doing these things or attempting to do these things because you need to be? Like, if you don't think we're doing these things or where you're plugged into for church— is doing these things well, or isn't at least humble enough to say, like, we're attempting to get there, you might need to find another church or community because to not be doing these things is to miss what Jesus wants for his church and for the community that you are to be a part of. But to kind of, like, just rub it in a little bit more to myself as a pastor, but maybe a little bit to you as, as an attender of a church, if you're not participating or engaging in each of these you're missing it a bit too because it's the community who is to do these, not just a paid staff. It's the people, the church. So which ones are you missing participating in or being receptive of? Which ones can help you or which ones can you contribute to? So what I want to do for the rest of our time is talk about how you can engage in each of these and then talk about why. Like, honestly, why you would want to be engaged in each of these, especially for the person who maybe dreads it or just, like, can't stand church. Like, why it might be beneficial for you and help you positively. Starting with the first one, the Holy Spirit needs to be present. This seems obvious, but a church should have some professing Christians with the Holy Spirit. Can non-Christians or unchurched or unbelievers be here? Absolutely, right? Our vision is to be a church that's full of people that are unchurched and coming together. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your walk with God. And that could just be like showing up to church for the first time. We love non-Christians here who don't have the Holy Spirit in them yet. 
But a church community should never be without it completely and then call it a church. Again, it seems obvious, but the Holy Spirit or professing Christians need to be the ones who lead anything within a church community. So you can expect that and assume that here at this church. How you can both support and lead kind of the Holy Spirit promptings or initiatives led by the Holy Spirit is when, when someone's feeling called to lead or do something, like a, maybe a women's group or whatever, help out with it. When someone's feeling called to like lead a mission trip to Salvation Army or wherever it might be, support it. Participate. When someone's maybe like feeling the tug to invest in kids, support their decision. That's supporting, being moved, or supporting people that are moved by the Holy Spirit in a church. Can you help us with one of those things? Or for you, maybe the Holy Spirit's prompting you to start something. As in, you feel called to start the mission trips. You feel called to lead the women's group. You feel called to start the ministry. Noticing and responding to the Holy Spirit is an amazing part of the church. It gives you purpose and prompting. The next thing on our list is the church should have the teachings of God. Uh, what are the teachings of God? It's the Bible. It should have the Bible as, as core. Unfortunately, it's really easy to get excited about other things before the Bible. Kind of like this video. Check it out. Yo! Oh! It's been a while. You know what you should do? Come to our church. Dude! You can tithe with crypto. We have keto communion. We have our own app. Our pastor just dropped a merch collab with Adidas. Tony Romo is speaking at our men's retreat. Sadie Robertson spoke last week. Our pastor prophesied the Super Bowl last year. Our worship leader drinks. Blippi's the children's church pastor. Our pastor writes his own book. You know Taylor Swift? Mm -hmm. Her nephew Trevor? He goes here. We it's easy to love church or what your church is doing. I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Um, but God's word, scripture, needs to be at the forefront. So a true church should have the Bible at the front. Like if a church is to not use the Bible or to kind of like be half into the Bible, like we like some of it, but we don't really like this other part. So we kind of like, we don't do that. We don't believe that. It's to miss it completely. Sure, there are methods to teaching the Bible, like some that are different preferences that you see in different churches, which is why there are different churches for different people. But here at this church, you kind of see me moving around a little bit more, telling stories, showing videos on stage. It's positive, it's relevant, it's real as our, as our tone. But that's done all in attempt to deliver the timeless biblical teachings of God. This can be hard part for, for people who maybe have matured in the church or have like come to a church continually because if you've been to the church a long time you should start to hear some of the same stories like you really should like if you've been a christian for 20 some years and you're like i've heard that story or if you've been coming to the church for like 20 some years and you're like i haven't heard that story that's kind of a problem right like you should be like familiar with god's teachings because the teachings don't change Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. That said, you should be hearing similar stories and truths as you mature as a Christian, but that shouldn't make it any less valuable to you. What you need to do is start implementing it into your life. That's the hard work of faith. Not just getting more Bible details and like memorizing more details of the Bible, but it's having the Word of God cause you to become more like Jesus, as in more loving, more patient, more honorable, more good. Are you doing that? Like, 
if you hear a similar story or something like you know already, are you doing the personal hard work on your end and let God speak to you on maybe why you need to hear that again and again? Not just like forgive one time, but like maybe there's this chronic struggle to forgive inside of you right now that you need to address. Whatever it is, whatever the, the message might be, regardless of how much you know, a church must have biblical teachings. The next thing is on that list was, uh, that we saw in that passage was fellowship. If there ever is a churchy word out there, it's fellowship, right? It's fellowship. Like where else do you hear the word fellowship? Nowhere, right? Uh, besides the church. How it's defined is this. It's a friendly association, especially with people who share one's interests, uh, which in the church is following Jesus. Fellowship is a part of church why so many people think church can just be a club or a group or a hangout with friends. Yet it's just one part of church. And fellowship within the church, I think, is so special because it puts you in the room who, with people who cross political boundaries, uh, race differences, socioeconomics, uh, ages, genders. But its primary focus is everyone being centered on following Jesus. And this is huge because this is what guides you and helps you and keeps you on course for God. You need to stay, you need to stay rooted in church because being in fellowship is good for you personally, but it's also your duty for you to guide and connect with others. Growing up, as I was kind of like processing this this week, of what fellowship really means. I was thinking of this story. Growing up as a teen, my, my friends and I, we all thought we had like coolish, cheap cars. Um, they weren't cool. They were dumpy. Um, but but we, we tried to make them cooler, right? Or like nicer by spending like no more than like 20 bucks because that's all we had in our wallet. So like anything you could do would be a win. So lights, spoilers, paint, decals, better stereos, you know? And we'd all rally, like my friends, we were all kind of rallied around this. Um, and so that was kind of like what we had as our core. But we had this friend who really wanted a sound maker for his horn. Why? I don't know. Um, I think he just got so in his head of absolutely like thinking he needed this. And it'd be like cool. And he's like, this horn, it's, it could play like songs like the Duke of Hazard horn. Like I can put like movie clips on it. So like when I honk the horn, it like plays that. Um, it's going to be awesome. It's like pretty expensive actually. And I'm going to actually have to have someone install it for me. Uh, but it's going to be so worth it. No. And he'd tell us this, like us guys, like, and we'd be like, okay, man, yeah, okay. Not being judgy on the outside to him, but totally judgy on the inside. Like, that's dumb, right? It's kind of like what we all were thinking. But he did it, and he never used it after the first day of getting it installed because it was dumb. It was. Sorry if this is, like, too much opinion from stage for you. But, but we were his friends who he was in fellowship with around cool cars, cheap ones, right? And instead of helping him navigate this and not make a dumb decision, we let it happen. We let it happen. Now, the reason I tell you this is, is don't drop the ball in being in fellowship as Christians united around Jesus. Fellowship is encouraging and it's supporting and it's being friendly, but it's also helping people process and asking questions and helping people see things clearly before they act. Are you doing that? Like when someone tells you like what they're doing at work and it's kind of like a little sketchy, do you ask them about it a little bit? 
Or when someone tells you like that little lie that they haven't shared with their spouse yet, do you push them on it a little bit? Or when someone says like they're, they're giving up on this thing, do you challenge them at least on it? Or when someone says, or, or like you've seen that someone's chronically changed and they're just like negative and crabby over and over, more and more, and you're noticing this, do you, do you say something to them and like help them? You should respond. Fellowship is part of following God with others that's meant to help you. And it's also a part of following God that, uh, with others that you are to contribute to. God doesn't want you to just show up on Sundays, but be in fellowship with other believers. You might be like, community and fellowship, not my thing. I'm not an extroverted, Aaron. I'd say you're wrong. A prominent pastor, John Mark Comer, he says, community is like the incubator for our spiritual formation. It's necessary for all of us. You grow through fellowship. Salvation itself, like in the Bible, it's often like kind of referred to as being adopted into God's family. I don't know about you, but being in a family is hard. You got to be like, you got like a lot of people, a lot of different things going on. And you need to address that. You need to address these things and be in fellowship or be united together. Both the easy and the hard kind of fellowship are necessary in a family as it is in a church. To grow spiritually, you need to be in one. The next thing that we saw the, in that passage that the followers did is they devoted the prayer. Uh, we spent the whole week on this as a church recently, but um, we should be attempting to communicate with God, both speaking to him and listening to him. We pray as part of our services, like on stage here, but, but as a community, we should be praying regularly as a church family. We need to collectively be praying. To be real with you on this one, I feel we had about a one-year window as a church where we dropped the ball on this. We were horrible at this. Um, when we started with, at this church about three years ago, we had a prayer ministry. It was good. And then it stopped. And recently, we now have something going again, and I'm excited about it. But are you praying? Because you should be. The next thing a church did that we saw in that passage is they met together as one body regularly, as in coming to the temple is what they did. They went to something regularly, where people got to be in regular fellowship with others as a whole, where they worshiped and gave a portion of their week and then did more fellowship, right? But don't miss this. They did it regularly, as in people could see their worship and life patterns personally, but they also could see that of others as well. How are you doing in regularly being in fellowship and worshiping God? I'm going to say something kind of harsh here, and I don't say it to condemn because I, I struggle with these type of things as well. But I just want to make you think. Today's the Super Bowl. So NFL season's coming to a close. If you're a Packer fan, I bet you didn't miss one game this year. They play every week for a few hours. And if you're a fan, I, I bet you found time to regularly view it, whether it's live or recording or later in the week. Is that how you approach your worship with God and fellowship at church? What do your regular habits of worship and fellowship show? And it's, it's not just that. It's not just like Packers. So I'm not like just calling out Packer people. I'm coming for everybody today. Um, <laughs> but is it your kid's sports schedule or your boating season or your hunting season or your overtime work or your family getaway or your hobbies? Is it pulling you away from regular worship and fellowship with God's people? Regular committed fellowship and worship will grow you for the long term. It's what keeps you rooted in faith. Regular fellowship and worship also allows others whom you are in fellowship with speak into your life more accurately. I recently, I had a friend 
tell me he's getting a divorce. He just recently told me this. I, I used to see him regularly. And I would have been able to maybe see some of the patterns of him and his wife separating and maybe could have helped in some way. But he stopped attending. He stopped attending. He stopped being regular. But if he was regular, maybe could have spoken into that. I could have maybe seen the situation help and caught it. Maybe not. I'd, I'd want that for me personally. If someone like, I want someone to see my life regularly and speak into it. If, I, if I'm getting off track on things, regular connection as one body is huge. Are you committed to that? Just, just as much as the first church was. It was every day, they said in scripture. If not, what needs to change for you? The next thing they, that passage talked about is they met in homes and they shared meals. So we, we talked about temple, right? Regular temple, Sunday service is kind of like our temple per se. But then there is meeting in homes, which y'all can't just show up to like my house or someone's house. Like that'd be overwhelming. There's not enough space, right? Like no one has enough space for all that many people. So what we do is we do life groups or small groups. Are you in a life group? Life groups are where people study God's word in people's homes and they create real and meaningful relationships, friendships. This past fall, we had like 10 different groups and almost all the groups met outside of their normal study time to just share a meal and be friends. If you aren't feeling rooted in faith, it might be because you haven't been meeting intimately with others or being fully known by others. It's not too late to get into one this winter. You can sign up on our website. The next thing we saw in that passage that is part of a good church is, is there's evidence of good happening from the church. The verse says they saw signs and wonders, as in there, they were amazing things coming from the community, like baptisms and people changing their lives and people prioritizing their marriage and fixing things in their lives or choosing love or forgiveness or whatever it maybe is. Do you think some of those things are coming from this church? I personally, I, I get front row seats to a lot of this, like as the pastor, and it's, it's exciting for me. People are quitting addictions and people are prioritizing their faith and marriages and staying together and forgiving others even when it's super hard. People are seeking counseling and help and I'm excited about that. Are you seeing that personally when you're a part of this community? If not, like what can you change to start visually seeing that and experiencing that? Or maybe, maybe you've had the life change and you need to start sharing it within the church so we can see and experience the signs and wonders and notice it. Share that with one another. The next thing we saw in that list was they cared for those in need. The verse says that all the believers met in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. What this is trying to communicate is not communism, but simply that they were generous. They were generous. They prioritized caring for each other. Their generosity or care was to ensure they were helping out their community or those that were in need. Is that how you see your church family? Are you contributing to the generosity of it, looking for ways to help? Do you need to maybe give or serve or offer a hand to something? Maybe it's just like willpower or strength that would be caring for those in need at center points, but then also the Fond du Lac community as a whole. Again, when you do these things, you've taken ownership and you value church more and it roots you in faith. Last but not least on that list was there was additions of others or adding of others. A church is meant to grow and add more. Growth is a sign of healthiness. Unhealthy things don't usually grow. Are you contributing to adding to the church? Like, are you inviting more? 
Are you open to change within the church because more are coming? Are you positive about addition? Growth doesn't have to be rapid, but are you, the assembled, the community, the church, helping, not hindering the addition? What that looks like is maybe serving in church more than you have in the past because you know newer and more people are coming, so there's a greater need. Like, just the other week, we had like 90 in our kids' ministry. 90! That is like so many. We need more kids volunteers. That is way too many kids. Um, maybe for you, it, it's, it's leaving um, open the best Sunday seats on, when you come to temple or to worship. And the best Sunday seats are not the front row. <laughs> right? Maybe for you, it, it's being more welcoming or extroverted to make people feel welcome when you're out and about in the foyer. You are the church. Jesus intended for you to be a part of one. If you're not rooted in your faith or church, do you need to seek out one of these on the list? For you, which one is it? Which one of that is, is yours? As I close us, I think it's worth saying churches can look very different than one another. If it's not this church for you or this community, I encourage you to find one that you like and can call home. Honestly, I get it that this church might not be for everyone. A church can be a thousand people or ten of hipsters or hippies or rock stars or people who love hymns. As we just saw, those things don't matter in a biblical church. But what does is does it exemplify a biblical church as we see in Acts, the church that maybe you would attend? And does it continue to get you rooted in the practices of Jesus? I'm going to pray that this church, as in center point, but also you and me, the church, right? We continue to make this church a biblical church and a church that roots people in Jesus. I'm going to pray that God prompts us to act on one of those things on that list, to take action on what we need to do, to play our part in making sure it happens. If you want God to prompt you on one of those actions, you can pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for giving us a clear example of like what you want for a church or a community. God, I just pray that you have us center point or us as a people continue to pursue the things that, that you've modeled for us in scripture. And God, we all play a part to that. So I just pray that whatever that is for us personally, you prompt us to, to move on and act on. And God, I just pray that you have us continue to thrive as a church, that we can continue to keep growing and continue to keep pursuing you and having more and more people be rooted in you and your practices. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.